Hey, this is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, host of Cross Defense. Thanks for being a podcast listener. Glad you're subscribed, that you've downloaded the show, that you're engaged in it. Uh, today we're going to talk about Paul, St. Paul, and his instructions for us on prayer. Prayer is a tricky topic because we say prayer and people say, oh, prayer, I'm terrible at that. But Paul has some really, some encouragement and some wisdom for us. So stay tuned. Here's Cross Defense. All right, welcome to Cross Defense. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolf, the pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, and host of Cross Defense. That might be slightly redundant, but you know, you got to say that sort of thing when you're on the radio today. Uh, thanks for joining me. We what do we do every week on Cross Defense? Is we sit here and talk about theology, open up the scriptures, because I'm convinced more and more. I mean, my conviction on this continues to grow that the, one of the ways that the devil assaults us is by making us become bored with God's Word, bored with theology, bored with this, and we get distracted and interested in all this other sort of stuff. So we want to open up the Scriptures, and we want to see the beauty there, the wisdom, the comfort that the Lord has for us. We want to hear the voice of Jesus, which is the best thing to hear, that He loves us and He has mercy on us. To that end today, we are going to think about, we're going to think about prayer, and particularly we're going to think about St. Paul's wisdom and instruction that he has for us regarding prayer. I had the privilege of putting together a little essay on Paul and the pastor's work of prayer for Doxology. Doxology.us is a group I'm involved with. I'm one of the fellows for the Collegium of Doxology, and it's a group that's, that is concerned with pastoral care, both pastoral care for pastors and, and pastors increasing in their capacity to give pastoral care from the scriptures. And so every year we, they ask for a, an essay or an article. So I got to I got to dig into the scriptures on what St. Paul says about prayer. In fact, this last week I got to go to Michigan to talk about this with the people gathered up there for a theological conference. And the, the more I, I think about it and the more I talk about it, the more I consider it, it the, the more this topic keeps opening up. So I hope you'll I hope you'll join me for the next hour as we as we consider these things. And let's start let's start maybe thinking about this. You know, St. Paul wrote 13 uh, books in the New Testament. So the majority of books in the New Testament are pinned by the Apostle Paul. And a lot of the other books are about him or connected to him. So, for example, the book of Acts, the second half of the whole book of Acts, uh, it tells us the, of Paul's conversion and his first couple of missionary journeys, his first three missionary journeys, and then uh, I suppose the fourth, if you consider his trip to to Rome there. And the book of Luke is also, Luke was a traveling companion of St. Paul, and probably when Paul, Luke went with Paul to Ephesus, he met Mary and did started the research on the Gospel of Luke. So there's a lot of connections to the New Testament to Paul. So now just think about this statistic. In Paul's 13 letters, 18 times, he talks about his own prayers. I mean, that's more than one a book. He mentions how he prays more than probably he mentions any other uh, thing that he talks about himself. And the words that he uses to talk about how often he prays are these expansive adjectives. So Paul will say, just for example, he'll say to the Romans, first I pray for all of you without ceasing and always. In fact, when Paul describes his prayer, that word always comes up over and over again. He says, I always pray for you, 1 Corinthians 1, 4. Always in every prayer, Philippians 1, 3. Always for you all, 1 Thessalonians 1. Uh, without ceasing day and night, always, 2 Thessalonians 1. Without ceasing, always, uh, Philemon. 
uh, uh, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4. So that Paul's always praying, and then he has these other things. I remember you always, without ceasing, day and night I pray. Without ceasing, I remember you in my prayer, Second Timothy 1, and so forth. It seems to me like Paul is always praying. Now, that's an amazing thing to start with, because at least in my own imagination, when I think of St. Paul, I think of all these incredible journeys that he's on. I mean, he's a St. Paul is a man of action. Paul is, he's going this way, he's going that way, he has people coming and going, he's, in, he's, he's fighting, he's, he's being stoned, he's leaving the city, he's performing miracles, he's going to this place and starting a church, going to that place and starting a seminary, he's traveling all around, he's, he's sort of, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's doing, Paul is a doer, he wants, he's, he wants to make things happen, and wherever Paul is, things are happening now for whatever reason in my own imagination and this is a place to start when we think about Paul in prayer is that I think that there's a difference between praying and doing and that simply is not the case I mean, if you were to just ask Paul Paul what is your work Paul what is it that you would that you do I think from these texts Paul would say my work is the work of prayer chiefly I pray and I preach but mostly I pray and it's the prayers of Paul that he um, that accomplished these things and that do these works. Now, now, how I, you know, this we just got to let this sink in because there's so many things that assault our own prayers. They assault our own tendency to pray. They they assault the the work of our own prayers. That and and one of them is that you have to you have to do. I've got too many things to do. I don't have time to pray. It's, it's like there's this contrast, whatever it is in our imagination, there's this contrast between action and prayer, and, and Paul it just obliterates that distinction. No, to pray is to work. I mean, we, we, when we pray, things are accomplished. When we look at the Scriptures, for example, and we notice that almost everything that the Lord does is, in fact, in response to a prayer, then we realize how, how much prayer does. In fact, the chief work that Paul is doing is preaching. And Paul knows this. Paul knows that for anybody to hear God's word and to believe God's word, to trust in the promises of the gospel, that for that to happen, God has to directly intervene to give the gift of faith. Paul knows, for example, this, and this is an important text, First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, which says, The mind of the flesh does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, nor can it, because they are spiritually discerned. So Paul knows this fundamental truth about our fallen humanity, and that is that we cannot, by our own reason or strength, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has to call us through the, the gospel. So that faith, a, a trust in the Lord's word, is not something that we can do on our own or with our own strength. It's something that the Lord has to do in us through his word. Now, to come back to Paul, that, that means that Paul knows that he can go and preach the gospel until he's blue in the face. He could, he could send, spend hours unfolding the scriptures. He could spend days, weeks, months teaching someone the content of the scriptures. But they cannot, apart from the work of God, believe that word and trust in it so that the chief thing that has to happen for any of Paul's work to bear any fruit at all must be that God would work. 
Now, don't, don't misunderstand. God works through the Scriptures. It's not apart from the Scriptures or underneath the Scriptures or somehow ending around the Scriptures. God works through the Scriptures, but God works to give us faith, and otherwise we don't have it. God works to give us repentance, otherwise we don't have it. God works to open our ears so that we can hear his word. He works to open our hearts so that we can receive and trust in his word. And if God doesn't work, then nothing happens. So that Paul knows that if anybody believes at all, if anybody believes in the scriptures, if anybody believes his preaching, if anybody comes to church, if anybody opens the Bible and, and reads it and believes what the words there say, if anybody in all of the world does that, it's because God has worked the miracle of faith in their heart. So that Paul must begin with prayer, because the chief work of the preacher is, that, is to end in faith, and it must be that God is doing it. So if Paul's going to go to a place, to Athens or to Corinth or Thessalonica or Philippi or wherever, Caesarea or Antioch, and, and if, the, if, if, God is, if there's going to be a church there, it's going to be because God is going to be there and God is going to work so that God is, the, God is the one who's the chief worker, the chief doer, the chief actor, which means that Paul's chief work is a work of prayer. <laughs> I remember I was talking to uh, Dr. Kleinig, a Lutheran theologian who lives and works in Australia. He's, I think, retired from the seminary down there. He's done a lot of stuff. He's written biblical commentaries on Leviticus and, and Hebrews. The Hebrews one, I think, is coming out here pretty soon. He's written books. He's lectured all over the world. He's helped start churches. He's supported missionaries and, and pastors and churches and seminarians. He's, just a, he's done a ton of stuff. And I remember he told me once, he said, the older I get, the more I realize that the work that I did really in my whole life was the work of prayer. And Paul knows that. So, that. so that the work begins with prayer. It's not work or pray. It's pray and work, or it's, in fact, the work of prayer. Dr. Kleinig pointed out to me, and I think this is really quite fantastic, that, that every single good work that we do, aside from the work of prayer, so everything we set our mind to do, the devil can come in and worm his way in there and distort it and affect it in one way or another. I can preach a sermon and the people can, can hear something totally different. I could host a radio show and the devil comes in and now you get distracted or something gets confused or I don't say something as well as I could have and, and that work gets messed up and it ends up doing damage instead of doing good. I can go and, and love my kids and my wife the best way I think I can, but I'm a sinner, and it's always going to be messed up. It's always going to be tainted with sin, however it goes. And, and so the devil always has occasion to take our good works and use them against us and use them against other people. But that, the, the exception to that, the one time when our works, in fact, are truly good works, is when we do the work of prayer. Because the Lord hears our prayers, and he filters out any nonsense. He perfects our prayers. Jesus carries our prayers to God the Father. And God answers our prayers according to his good pleasure so that those end up being the perfect works. <laughs> or to say it this way, the purified works that we do. So the first thing we want to consider when we think about Paul and prayer is that we should pray. We should always pray. We should hand ourselves over to pray. prayer. Paul says pray constantly. Now, it doesn't mean that we sit in our rooms on our hands or on our knees and we pray and we never go and, you know, go to the grocery store or vacuum the floor or 
go to work, etc. That does that's not what it means. What Paul probably what Paul means is he had regular times for prayer in the morning and in the evening. And the pastor stops to pray at noon. That's what his work is after all. So that we have this regular pattern of prayer, a sort of a discipline of prayer, so that prayer is part of part of our day. And not only that, but one of the things that and, and maybe we can talk about this a second. The second thing that I've picked up from St. Paul is that he his prayers are, it's not just that he prayed all the time and he prayed a lot, but that he, he prayed, he had a wisdom about what he prayed for. He, he had ex, this ex, expanded prayers. He had theologically loaded prayers. In fact, some of the prayers of St. Paul, when you read them, you're like, what? I don't, there's so much that he's praying for, it's even hard to get our heads around. I'll give you a couple examples later on. But to start with and to start simply, one of the things that Paul starts with always is thanksgiving. Now, this is an amazing sort of thing. One of the reasons why we have so many notes from Paul's prayers is because almost every single one of his letters, he begins by giving thanks. <laughs> here, 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 let me just give you a couple of examples. Paul writes to the Romans, Romans 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Or 1 Corinthians 1, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Or Ephesians 1, verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You can see 2 Corinthians 9, Philippians 1, Colossians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 and 3, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 1, Philemon 4. If you're, if you're listening and driving along, you're like, whoa, slow down, buddy. You can download the podcast and check these things out. In fact, if you want to visit wolfmuller.co, I'll put some of these links up there as well. I'll put Paul in prayer, and you can find it and track some of these down. But here's the point. Paul began with thanksgiving. When he says to the Romans, first, I give thanks to God for all of you. I don't think what Paul means is, first thing on my list of to-do things to write in this letter is I'm going to first give thanks, and then I'm going to talk about sin and then third I'm going to talk about Christ and I think that Paul when Paul says first thanks that there's a primacy to thanksgiving there's a chronological and even a um, s sort of a priority uh, priority given to thanks so that and, and just to think about this very very practically I want if you guys could try and experiment with me I, I want to try this as well that when you wake up in the morning that you think what P Paul said there is first thanks so that the first thing that you do is give thanks I try this I've got a little sign on my that's right above my desk at home so when I go down to uh, to, to read a page of the Bible in the morning and, and get a couple of things done I see that and it says first thanks and I have to stop and and give thanks now th there's there's a lot of things that happen in that in that uh, activity in that giving of thanks now, I, I, and I'd love to hear if you experiment with this if you just you just write yourself put on a note card first thanks and put it where you wake up and where you do your devotions or put it in the mirror and and to practice this of giving thanks to God the first thing because it, it is it's a transformational kind of idea it's very very practical but 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 there's a couple of things that happens. Thanksgiving, in a way, sort of 
it reorients our minds and our hearts. Here, here, here's how it works for me. When, when I normally wake up in the morning, the thing that's going through my mind is all of the undone things that are for me to do that day. <laughs> that I, I, again, I don't know if it's for you. I did an experiment one. I mean, uh, a couple of years ago, and I asked my Bible class, I said, when you go to bed at night, are you thinking about the things that you have to do tomorrow, or are you thinking about back on the day? Is your imagination oriented towards the future, or is it oriented towards the past? And most, I think it was like two-thirds of the people were thinking about the next day. One-third were thinking back over the day before. Some people were, they said, we're thinking about both, and I think one person said, oh, I don't think about anything. I go to sleep. What's wrong with you? But this is an, an amazing sort of thing. Is At least for me, I'm oriented towards what's going to happen next, towards the things that are undone, towards the things that I have to do. The future, undone, my things. But Thanksgiving reverses all of those. I can't give thanks for the future. Nothing's there in the future. There's nothing to give thanks for. I mean, it could be that Jesus could come back right now, and there wouldn't even be a future. So so Thanksgiving requires me to look at the past towards the things that that. Uh, th that are back there. And Thanksgiving requires me to look not at the things that are undone, but at the things that are already accomplished. And Thanksgiving requires me to, to, to look not at the, what I've done, but what God has done. When Paul starts out his letters and says, I give thanks to God for you, what Paul's, he's not coming at the church with this, this agenda of here's all the things that are wrong that I'm here to fix. He says, no, look, God has already been at, he's done all of these things. He's been at work in your midst, and I'm recognizing it. I'm acknowledging it as gifts from God, and I'm giving thanks for it. It's a, it's a totally transformative way to think. Thanksgiving requires to, th this turning away from the undone things of the future to, to recognizing the done things of the past. And that simple act is really quite wonderful. But there's more to it, I, I, and I think this is important. There's a difference between giving thanks and being grateful. I want to talk about that, but I'm, I just looked at the clock, and I said, oh, man, I'm thankful that we, we are not done with the show yet, that there's time uh, to come. But we, we are going to have to go to the break. So let's go to the break, and we'll come back right after this, and we'll talk more about Thanksgiving. You're listening to Cross the Fence. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When communism fell in the former Soviet Union, it was an exciting time to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who had long been denied the faith. This is Reverend Robert Ron, founder of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. It's been 25 years since LHF began translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith for the people of Russia. With your help, LHF continues our work of introducing new believers to the Savior in nearly 90 countries. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn more. Proverbs 27:17 tells us, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Gary Duncan, the General Manager of Worldwide KFUO. We promote our various programs. We ask you to listen to your favorite show. We ask you to support our broadcast ministry, and we thank you for that support. But maybe we don't ask you to pray for us as much as we should. Please pray for the staff, management, 
radio hosts, and volunteers here at Worldwide KFUO. Pray that the message of salvation through Christ is heard clearly by listeners around the world. Pray that we continue to reach into those areas that are hostile to the Word of God. Pray that KFUO continues to reach those people desperately needing to hear the good news message. And pray that God continues to bless us financially through the gifts we need to continue our broadcast ministry. Thank you for listening, supporting, and praying for Worldwide KFUO. You truly are appreciated. We are the messenger of good news. AM850 in St. Louis, worldwide at KFUO.org. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolf. You're there. But enough of that. You know that because we're talking about things. we got to keep going, talking about Paul and prayer because we're just getting st- There's so much. We're just getting started. So we're talking about Thanksgiving, how, how giving thanks totally changes our minds and our hearts. Instead of thinking about the undone things for me today, I'm thinking about the done things of God yesterday. And that's better because, well, because there's so much of it. There's so many things that the Lord has done that he's that he's given us Christ and the open tomb and the and the forgiveness of all of our sins and he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us how will he not also together with him give us all things so that we start to recognize the goodness of God in all of these gifts and it's it's just good it's better to think about those things i mean it's kind of depressing to think about all the undone things but to think about all the done things that is great and it doesn't stand in the way of doing things. It actually leads to it. But there's a way that prayer is an anti-worry, that thanksgiving specifically is an anti-worry. Paul talks about this in, in Philippians. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. So that there's this battle in our heart between worry and thanks. <laughs> And when we thank God for things, it starts to push out worry. Now, see, I don't know how it works. I, mean, I don't know how that happens, what sort of spiritual dynamic is happening in the heart to make that, to, 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 that that is accomplished. But so it is. So we're told. I mean, Peter says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So that this, there's this recognizing the Lord's care for us. And it, it, pulls, it, it just kind of starts to root out our own worries and our own anxieties. Now, now we were going to talk about the difference between between thanksgiving and gratitude, and this is an interesting thing. I think this is a casual distinction. I think if you start looking in the dictionary at the definition of gratitude and the definition of thanksgiving, you're going to say, hey, pastor, look, they're supposed to mean the same thing. But maybe we are contrasting the difference between Christian thanksgiving and non-Christian thanksgiving or someone who doesn't believe in God the way they give thanks. But you, you see it all the time. I mean, if you're... If you just go to the bookstore or you're on Facebook or any there's this um, there's this kind of gratitude movement that's out around there and no doubt you've you've bumped into it there's you can buy a gratitude journal a lot of people talk about the practices of having gratitudes at the end of the day or, or you can you write down three things that you're thankful for that happened that day and, that, and that's great I mean that's that's fine I'm not gonna I don't think you should be ingrat you could have like sit down and talk about the things you're not thankful for. That's not what I'm suggesting, but I want to put a, a, a difference here. That gratitude, at least in the way that I'm using the word here, that gratitude recognizes the goodness of the thing that's in front of you. So I, for example, have a cup of coffee in front of me, and I could recognize the goodness of the coffee, the wonderful flavor, 
the pungent aroma, the lukewarm heat of the thing, the caffeine. <laughs> oh, the blessed caffeine. You know, this is basically like, uh, you know, one of the greatest gifts from God, coffee. I've got it. And I, I, and I can, but I can look at the gratitude wants me to look at the coffee and be grateful for the coffee. Thanksgiving wants me to look past the gift to the giver of the gift. And that track, the giver of the gift, goes all the way eventually to God. So that I'm so that when so that when I look at them at a meal that's set in front of me, I'm not giving thanks to the chicken for being fried or to the to the I'm not grateful for the lettuce for being salmonella free or whatever. I mean I look past the goodness I look past the good gift to the goodness of the giver. Now, now pagan gratitude, so let's say it cleanly like this. Pagan gratitude is motivated by the goodness of the gift. Christian thanksgiving is motivated by the goodness of the giver of the gift, namely God himself. Let's, let's make sure we get that. Pagan gratitude is grateful because of the goodness of the gift. Christian thankfulness is thankful because of the goodness of God. That every good and perfect gift comes down from God, the Father of all lights, that in whom there's no shadow of change or turning. God, that God is the source of everything that comes to us. And what that does is it gives us the great freedom, the phenomenal Christian-only freedom of being thankful. Right? Maybe let's say it like this. It's it, those who have faith. It's the freedom of those who have faith to be thankful even for the bad stuff. I mean, if I'm, if I'm a, if I have this pagan thankfulness that does, is just recognizing the goodness of the gift, and then my my parents say I'm a kid, and my parents give me a, you know, a Twinkie or a, whatever, sweet tarts, something like that. Well, I'm thankful because that's nice; it tastes good, and everything like this. But I have much more trouble being thankful for the gift of asparagus, or kale. Whoever invented eating kale, I don't know. Now, maybe you say, well, you recognize that it's nutritious or whatever, but that's hard for a kid to see, that it's good for you even though it tastes poorly. And this is the point, is that I can trust not the goodness of the food, but the goodness of the giver, that my mom and my dad know what's best for me, and so I'm thankful for this thing that I can't see the goodness in, at least from my perspective. I can't see how it could possibly be good for me, and yet I'm thankful for it because I know the goodness of my mom and my dad. So the Christian can be thankful in all circumstances, the good and the bad, the happy and the sad, in riches and in poverty, in want and in abundance, in every circumstance that we find ourselves, in sickness and in health, we can be thankful to God for whatever he's given to us because we know not the goodness of the thing, but the goodness of God. We know that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all does, gives us everything with him so that the hands that give us every gift are the hands that were pierced for us, the hands that were nailed to the cross for us. The, the gifts, we might not recognize the goodness of the gift, but we recognize the goodness of God. And this is how we can, as Paul says to the Thessalonians, give thanks in every circumstance. God, I don't, I don't know why I've got this sickness. 
I don't know. I don't know why I've got this trouble. I don't know why I've got all these things falling apart. I don't. I don't recognize the goodness in any of these things. But I recognize the goodness of you. I re I recognize the goodness of your gospel. I recognize the goodness of your will towards me. I recognize your fatherly mercy. I recognize this. And I'm thankful. Do you see the free And do you know how crazy this drives the devil that we can give thanks for everything? We can give thanks in all circumstances? That we can give thanks to God for every blessing and benefit? Paul in prayer teaches us this. All right, Thanksgiving. Now, here's another thing that I want you to see in Paul when you go and you study these 18 verses where Paul talks about how he prays, and that is that Paul has a certain pattern of mind, a, a, a certain pillar of thought, and, uh, and, and, he, and that comes up in his prayers and his writing and his thinking and his actions and everything. And that is this pattern of faith, love, and hope. This this little triad comes up all the time. In fact, when you are baptized, you're enrolled in the school, in, in, the, in the Lord's school, and he's given you three majors. <laughs> you're, you, you are triple majoring as a Christian. You're majoring in faith, you're majoring in love, and you're majoring in hope. And the Lord is going to teach us all of these things. He's going he's gonna to give us advanced degrees in these three topics. Here's just a couple of verses so you, that you can see it. Uh, Paul writes, let's see, this is to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints for the hope that was laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Or, if you don't believe me yet, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Paul says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. You say, well, one more and I'll believe you, Pastor. Well, here you go. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is meet or right, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you towards all of you abounds, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all the persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Do you see this? Faith, love, and hope. Now, the, the nice thing about getting our head around this, and, and you say, what now, it seems like Paul went in the wrong direction, right? I mean, it's supposed to be faith, hope, and love. That's how we heard it preached at the wedding. And it's because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Now, Paul's making the point there that faith and hope will give way to sight on the day of the resurrection. So your faith is very temporary. Your hope is very temporary. It ends with the resurrection, and love keeps going. So we have love now, and love will be perfected, and it'll keep going into all eternity. So there won't be faith, hope, and love in the resurrection. There will be just love, faith, hope, and love. So, so Paul is making that point in 1 Corinthians 13, but that in that place, he actually goes out of order. The proper order, if you want to call it that, is faith, 
love, and hope. And why? This is, the, this is kind of the order or the pattern of our Christian life. The Lord promises us things, and we believe those promises. That's faith. And then we begin to love God and love our neighbor. That's love. <laughs> and then the devil comes along and troubles us so much, and we continue to hope in the Lord's promises through the midst of suffering. That's hope. So that these three things summarize our whole Christian life. Now, Paul, when he goes to give thanks, look what he gives thanks for. This is amazing. If you say, well, Pastor, okay, I heard what you said earlier. You're supposed to wake up and give thanks, first of all. What should we give thanks for? What should be the content of our thanksgiving? What, what works of God should we be recognizing? And here's what Paul says. You, you recognize these three chief works of God, faith, love, and hope. So we see faith around us, that we have faith in God, that our family has faith in God, that our neighbors, our Christian neighbors have faith in God. We give thanks to that and that there's love around. Love even beyond the borders of the Christian church, but especially the Christians are handed over into this world to be, to, uh, to be those who love their neighbor and love their God. We give thanks to that. And we give thanks to God for every time we see hope enduring some sort of, some sort of suffering. So we give thanks to God for those things. And then when it's time to offer our petitions, we offer the petitions around those three things. Lord, keep us in the faith. In, purify our faith. Strengthen our faith. Spread the faith ab abroad so that more and more people believe your name and trust in your promises. That's the evangelism prayer of the church. Keep those who believe in your church so, uh, so that their faith endures to the end. That's the prayer for faith. And we pray for love. Lord, let us abound in love. Let, let love know no boundaries among us. Let us be overflowing in a sacrificial love that reflects your love for us. Grant us, we, we give you thanks for our neighbors so we can love and teach us how to love them and care for them and bless them in every way. And then hope, Lord, don't let the sufferings, the trials, the persecutions, and the troubles of this life destroy our hope. Grant that hope may endure all the way to the end. I don't know if you feel like this like I do, that the devil has particularly has his eye on hope, that he's coming after hope, that he, that we, you know, you believe in Christ, you start to love your neighbor, but he just wants us to be despairing about how things are going and how things are going to end. It's just, it's an assault on hope. So we want to pray that the Lord would, would continue to, to strengthen these things. Faith, love, and hope. It's really, it's really quite simple. And when we see Paul writing then, when Paul changes from his praying to his writing, those are the three things that he's writing about. He's writing about how, the faith, the doctrine, and how it's challenged by false doctrine, and how we should believe in Jesus Christ and be declared righteous. He's writing about love, how we ought to care for our neighbor, how love takes its shape according to the Ten Commandments and our various different vocations. And he's writing about hope, about how the devil is assaulting us through suffering, and yet the Lord is using suffering to strengthen our hope. It's just really, these, it's pretty simple when it comes down to it. So faith, hope, and love, these three. These are the, this is the content. It's the content of the scriptures. It's the content of our faith. It's the content of our prayers. It's the content. If you're a pastor, it's the content of your preaching. If you're a father or a mother, it's the content of your teaching and your acting towards your children and so forth. Faith, love, and hope. So this is really quite nice. It helps us to have this clarity to, to start to expand our prayers. One of the problems that we have when we pray is that we pray for the things that we want, but our wants, the things that we want, the things that we feel that we lack are so tiny, they're so small, that the Lord has to expand them and, and throw them open. 
one of, one of the problems if if we just pray for the things that we want we pray for daily bread that's really the only thing that we that we feel that we want maybe a little bit of forgiveness but the but the lord in his in the scriptures and this is what saint paul he he's he's flinging open our desires so that we want much more than we want by nature that the holy spirit creates desires in us for more well, that's what we've got to talk about after the break Let's do that now. Let's go to the break and we'll come back, uh, continue. We'll talk about expanded desires and Paul's theological prayers. You're listening to Cross the Fence. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, host of Cross Defense. I'm taking a trip over to Spain this summer. We're getting about at the end where we got to send in all the names. So if you're interested, uh, let me know pretty quick. But we're going to go and visit the missionaries that we have for our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, see the work that they're doing there in Spain. It's really quite incredible. There hasn't been Lutherans in Spain since the time of the Spanish Inquisition. But now the church is being reborn there. And while we're there, we're going to look around Barcelona, Madrid, Seville. We're going to go down to the coast, see Granada. It's, it's going to be a really fantastic trip. Uh, I hope you'll join uh, me and about uh, 16 other families that are going to be touring down there. You jump in with us and, uh, and see what the Lord is doing there and, uh, and study the book of Romans. You can find all the information about the trip on the website, www.wolfmuller.co slash Spain 2019. Hey, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you're back with me here on Cross the Fence. God be praised. Uh, and may he grant us all ears to hear his word. That's his gifts. Uh, we're talking about Paul and prayer. We talked about how Paul starts with thankfulness, how he prays about faith, love, and hope. And then we talked about how when we look to the scriptures, it expands our desires for the things that we look to for God. We we by nature, want a couple of things. And you get this just like, for example, if you study biology, you remember the biology class and they say, what do you need to live? And they said, well, you got to have like water, food, shelter, internet connection. I can't remember the list, how it went, but you know, it's very, very small. And that's what you need for life. But that's not, not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, the things we need for life are listed in the seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer. To be alive, you need God's name and his kingdom and his will. You need a little daily bread, forgiveness of sins, delivering from evil. Uh, 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 wait a minute. He's going to uh, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into, leading from temptation. Leading not into temptation and deliverance from evil. That's the full life that we have from God. That when Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, that's the abundant life. This is not just a little bit of daily bread. It's having God's name and his will and his kingdom, his word and his spirit and his gifts and his kindness. That's the main thing. But the problem is we don't feel it. Our body, just, just think, our bodies and our minds do not feel they do, we do not feel a hunger for the Lord's word like we ought to. That comes by the Spirit. Now, just, So think of it like this. You know, you're, when you're hungry, if you haven't eaten all day, your stomach starts to preach to you. It, growl, it grumbles at you. Uh, put some food in me. It's a, your, your stomach tells you that you're... And your body tells you if you're sick, you feel terrible, or if you're cold, or if you're hot, or if... Whatever. If you have to go to the bathroom, it's your body preaches to you about your bodily needs. Now, so, so that we, by nature, feel our lack of food. Now, what this means is, when, if we're left to ourselves, almost every single prayer is a daily bread prayer. 
Now, I want you to imagine the, the, the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Wait, wait, wait. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Those three things, which are a prayer for God's name, kingdom, and will, a prayer for God's word and God's spirit, a prayer for all these spiritual gifts. Just, ima just imagine if you had a stomach f for God's word. Just like your ear, just imagine this. Your ear had a little stomach behind it. And every time you heard a sermon, you'd think, oh, that's so nice. I'm stuffed. If your, sir, if your pastor preached for a long time, you know, if he preached these four-hour sermons, you'd be like, ah, stop. And you'd be like loosening the belt on your stomach ear, <laughs> you know. Or, or if, you hadn't, if, you hadn't, if you hadn't read God's Word or had a devotion in two days, you'd say, I'm starving. You wouldn't care about anything else. I got to go hear God's Word. Or... If you heard someone, if you heard a false teacher, you know, someone preaching, you know, health and wealth or some prosperity gospel or, or denying that Jesus is God or whatever, you'd get food, you'd get ear stomach poisoning, and you'd be up all night throwing up words out of your ear. Oh, that made me sick. I'm never going back to that place again. Just imagine it. You know, imagine if God gave you so that you naturally felt your lack of God's word. I mean, you need God's word more than you need food. You need to hear his promises more than you need water to drink, more than you need show. You need his name, his kingdom, and his will more than you need anything else. You just don't feel it. Neither do I. We, it's not, these things are spiritually discerned, not physically discerned. If, if we had a little ear stomach, you know, there'd be, there'd be lines outside of the church like, like Texas Roadhouse on a Saturday night. People would want to be getting in. You'd have to have four seatings for church and everything else if you felt the pain of not having God's word. But we just don't feel it. Now, what that means is if we're praying from our pain, from our natural pain, from our natural lack, our prayers are all going to revolve around the fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. But especially the Lord's Prayer and especially Paul's Prayer are going to expand that. It's, they ex, we have ex, to think of it this way we have expanded desires this is it's so helpful for me to think about this i don't know if it is for you you guys got to let me know but it's so helpful for me because one of the things that i think we get huh, tricked into thinking in the christian church is that desire is bad we think desire sin desire lust desire greed desire whatever we, we we think that uh that desire is always a particularly negative kind of thing but it's not there are godly desires there's godly affections there's things that the bible in fact commands us to want Blessed are those who do not walk in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, and stand in the way of uh, transgressors. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on their law they, he, he meditates day and night. My soul longs, yea, even faints for the courts of the Lord. That we long to see the presence of God. That we desire to hear his word. That we hunger for his, for his affection and his promises and his kindness to us. That we have this, we, we, we have these expanded desires to be free from evil, to be free from death, to be free from the corruption of this world, to be free from temptation, to see the devil's kingdom overthrown, to rejoice in the light of the Lord and his gifts, and to love one another. 
We have, this, we have this longing to serve our neighbor, a longing to bless those who come around us. This is, this is this expanded desire so that the Christian wants more than just a little bite of food. The Christian wants the kingdom of God. The Christian wants the Holy Spirit to come with God's word and bless, and, to, and to, to shut the gates of hell, to slam them closed, and for every person to come into the Lord's glorious kingdom. The Christian wants all the things of God to belong to them and their family and their friends and their neighbors. I mean, this is how big the prayers are of the, that, that Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. We say, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Give me everything that's yours, O Lord. In fact, the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that's small, that's minuscule, is the, is the, Lord's, is the daily bread petition. Give us this day just a little bit of bread. I don't want that much. I just want a little bit of bread. That's all I'm asking for today. But your kingdom and your name and your, I want everything else you got, just a little bit of bread. Now, I think I mentioned, it was before the break, I mentioned that there was, there's one other thing that we might naturally feel a need for, and that's because not only do we have a stomach, but we also have a conscience. So that our conscience tells us that there's something wrong morally with us. So, so I just want to make sure that we're clear on this. Our, our stomach says, feed me, and our conscience says, ah, make the pain go away. But just like the stomach that's very imprecise, so our conscience is very imprecise without God's word. So, you know, the parents have to teach the kids what's good for the stomach. I mean, the stomach doesn't care. It'll take four pounds of nachos just as well as it'll take, a, you know, a cup full of broccoli. Just fill it up. So you have to bring wisdom to know what to fill the stomach with. So also the, con the conscience just says make the pain go away any way possible. And if you want an explanation for every world religion and all the kooky kind of nonsense and the cults and everything else like this, it, it's, it's located in this imprecise pain of the conscience. My conscience tells me that there's something wrong with me and with the world, that I'm in trouble, in fact, that there's a right and a wrong, and I stand on the, I'm, I'm, I stand on the wrong side of the right. So my conscience tells me there's something wrong, but then the conscience doesn't tell me what to do about it. The conscience doesn't tell me that the only thing that heals the pain in the conscience is the forgiveness of sins won by the blood of Jesus. I mean, my conscience is just as likely to grab onto the Book of Mormon or to the to the uh, uh, to the to some sort of works righteousness or to some sort of Buddhist chant, or I can grab onto the Quran. My conscience is just as likely to grab onto any of these things to make the pain go away. But the only thing that truly delivers a good conscience is the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus. That's it. That's the only thing. So that God's word has to tell us how to fix the pain of the conscience. So we have the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer: Forgive us our trespasses. That's a prayer that grows out of the cross, out of the atoning work of Christ. And that gives us a good conscience. So give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Those are meeting our natural needs. But the other petitions of the Lord's Prayer are meeting supernatural needs. <laughs> our need, our greatest of all needs to have this full life that the Lord wants for his name and his kingdom. Now Paul teaches us about this in his prayers. When you go and you read these prayers of Paul... As he reports them to you, it's incredible to see the things that he prays for. I mean, he has these monstrous prayers that are full of theology and doctrine that are for all of these incredible blessings. Now, I'll just give you one example. This is Ephesians chapter 3, 
verses 14 to 21. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, asking that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now, did you see what Paul, Paul says? I, I pray that you would know the thing that you can't know. <laughs> I mean, Paul, look at Paul. I pray that you would know the thing you can't know. That you would be, how, how do you say, that you would know, you would comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And he goes on, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. <laughs> Paul says, I pray that, that you, the Holy Spirit would open your mind to understand what you can't know naturally. I pray that Christ himself, the Son of God, would dwell in your hearts by faith. I pray that you would be filled with the abundance of God, not the minimum kind of required dose of God, but that the entirety of God would, would fill you that you would be strengthened by God's Holy Spirit according to your inner man to trust in Christ, to love your neighbor, and to fight against the flesh and endure all this affliction. These are incredible prayers of Paul. Did you, did you see? I mean, this is why, and, and look, I'm, I don't want to pretend like I'm some sort of expert in prayer. I mean, the reason why I got to read these prayers is because I'm terrible at it. But Paul simply throws open his our minds and our hearts and our imagination when it comes to what we ought to pray for. It's, it's just phenomenal. Here, I'll, I'll give you another one. This is uh, Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16, just to get a flavor for this. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you received it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, as the word of God, which works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers, became followers of the churches of God in Judea, who are in Christ Jesus. For you have suffered these things from your own countrymen, even as they have from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and their prophets and persecuted us, and don't please God and are contrary to all men and forbid us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So Paul says, look, he says, you, he's, he says I thank God because you received the word that you heard from us, that you, that you received God's word not as a word of man, but as the word of truth. And you believe, and by believing, God's word works in you. And then you became like the other churches in your suffering, and yet you endured this affliction in the name of Jesus, willing even to give up your life. It's just it's just incredible. Here, here, here's another one. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul says, We also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling, that he would fulfill all his good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that Paul is praying that God would count us to be worthy of the calling that we have, that God would fulfill in us all of his good pleasure, 
that the name of Jesus would be glorified in our teaching and in our, our believing and our trusting in him and his kindness and all of these things. And that we would be glorified in Christ. I mean, it's just that, that, that Paul, Paul's prayer, and I don't know how it is for you and for your prayers, but Paul's prayers simply, um, uh, they open up my own petitions to ask for so much more than I would just even imagine. So there's a, there's a, I don't know, I hope, hopefully this, this hour has, you know how you, when you teach your kids how to ride the bike, you put them on the bike and you run with them for a while to give them some momentum and then they carry on. I hope this has given you a little bit of momentum in your own study of the scripture to look into what St. Paul says about prayer and to go and, and to, and to begin to study it yourself and to begin to let your own prayers be expanded by the Holy Spirit. But as we do all this, we always want to remember, and this is maybe the most important thing. We want to remember that when we pray, we don't pray alone. We always pray our Father, and we know, we rejoice, that in fact, Jesus, this is an amazing thing, that Jesus prays also with us and especially for us. Hebrews chapter 7. Remember this little verse? It's a little phrase. It says, He, Jesus, always lives to intercede for us. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Paul says in Romans that Jesus is our intercessor, that he stands before the throne of God and he prays. And even as we uh, falter in our prayers, even as the, our prayers are assaulted in the spiritual warfare, we know that Jesus is there praying. Can you imagine that Jesus is there praying for us? Right now, you're listening to me. Right now, Jesus is praying for you before the Father in heaven. That's what the Bible says. And God the Father is pleased to hear those prayers of Jesus. And he's pleased to answer them on behalf of his Son. So may God grant us the spirit of intercession. That God would push out our worry with thanksgiving. That God would shape up our minds around faith, love, and hope in our own prayers. That God would expand the things that we want, and so in expanding those, expand the things that we pray for. And may God especially grant us the comfort of knowing this, that Jesus Christ, the one who died for us, continues to bless us by praying for us, by forgiving our sins, by bringing the evidence of his blood before the Father and interceding on our behalf so that we might know that we belong to him. Behold what manner of love the Father's given to us that we're called the children of God. And God be praised. Hey, thanks for listening to Cross Defense. This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church. I hope you'll join me next week for more to let the Holy Spirit set our minds and our hearts and our imaginations on fire with the glory, the comfort, the wisdom of his word, the clarity of the gospel, and the peace that we have in his promises. God's peace be with you. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. 
Find past episodes and support cross-defense at kfuo.org. Thanks again for downloading this podcast of Cross Defense. If there's something helpful that you found in there, I'd love to hear about it. And if, if you think if there's a friend of yours that, that would be blessed by this, let them know. Share the podcast with them. Tell them to subscribe. It's, it's great to have you listening. And there's more theology. This show's only once a week, but there's a lot of YouTube videos, some other podcasts, uh, some writings and sermons. You can find all of that stuff at wolfmuller.co. It's W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. .co, there to fill up all your theological needs. And so take give it a visit. Uh, there's a contact form there. I'd love to hear from you as well. Thanks again for being a cross-defense listener.